Welcome to the Friendly Fire Podcast, a Navy SEAL Museum production. Hi, I'm Rick Kaiser, retired Navy SEAL Master Chief and Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy SEAL Museum here in Fort Pierce, Florida, the birthplace of the Navy SEALs. We are recording from inside the museum's own Mark V assault craft, and now I'm going to introduce my good friend, Tim Nichols. Hello, everyone out there. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My name is Tim Nichols, retired Marine and professor at Duke University. I'm super excited to participate in this, and I think we have a lot of cool things to talk about. Hello again, listeners. This is the Friendly Fire Podcast. My name is Tim Nichols, and I'm joined by my close friend, Rick Kaiser, Master Chief, U.S. Navy SEAL, retired. Rick is uh, broadcasting from inside a boat, inside a museum uh, in Fort Fort Pierce, Florida. He's the Chief Operating Officer of the Navy SEAL Museum, and the Navy SEAL experience, uh, soon to be in San Diego. Rick, how are you doing? Good, Tim. How are you doing? Another great day. It's it's good to be back. Let's let's tackle two easy topics today. I feel like, uh, (laughs) you know, we've we've tackled all the hard ones. Let's tackle a couple easy ones. How do you think the United States is doing um, in its effort to manage the Ukraine problem, but not be distracted by it. Wow, um, I've, I'm I'm torn on the answer to that because I I want to support the Ukrainians and what they're doing against Russia because you know Russia's traditionally been our, you know our our foe, yeah. big adversary, and um, I. I think it would be easier it is easier for us to, to send money and arms there than it is to send american fighting men and women so in that respect i'm i'm very uh grateful that we're not fighting there because it really isn't our our battle in the first place and god knows where it would escalate to if we did get involved yeah uh, i'm not saying that's not going to happen but um, i hope it doesn't yeah, um it's good i i, I don't know if i don't know if money i, I I don't think we have a strategy is what the problem is. I don't think we have a plan. Okay, we're just going to kick them money and arms and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, and we already know that that whole government there in Ukraine has issues. Uh, sure. You know, with corruption and... Which governments you know, don't, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so who knows where that money's going? Who knows where those arms are really going? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What's your point? Uh, it's not necessarily my point. It's that uh, this is a contemporary foreign policy issue. I don't think it's going away. I um, I fear that it could get really bad, uh, not only for us, but from we do have. I mean, you're familiar with NATO alliances, and that we're legally bound to be friends with a lot of these countries in Europe. And uh, you know, Ukraine is on the border, uh, just across the border from Ukraine are significant U.S. allies. Uh, where we have presence, bases, economic interests. So, I uh, I was really I was really frustrated when I heard that Putin had invaded and you know tried to capture Kiev because I think that I'd like to think, and I know you'll laugh at me, but that like our world has matured enough where countries seeking prosperity don't send hundreds of thousands of troops into other countries to take what they have like it'd be nice to evolve past that but i know what you're saying it ain't ever gonna happen right (laughs) thousand years into it it isn't gonna happen so i was very frustrated um and i think i think we would have acted differently rick had we not been in two other wars for 20 years 
and we're just absolutely fatigued as a nation. Like we're just bleeding money uh, for many years. I remember when when you're on active duty um, after nine eleven. You know, we were spending a billion dollars every three days. Right. Yeah, with all the money that we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, we could rebuild thousands, maybe tens of thousands of elementary and middle schools in America, and yet we just we have nothing to show for it. And so I think there's a American fear about that. Do you have that same fear? Of course, because what have we ever gotten out of any you know conflict? I mean, I guess you could go back to World War II and say you know maybe we sit you know saved Europe um, and we did we did some good there but after after that what what have yeah. we actually gained by going to war except for you know losing our you know national treasure our, our warriors and what do we get out of it um, I just don't see a whole hell of a lot and I you know it's yeah. our oath and our duty to do what you know what, what we're ordered to do but it's, it's like on the other hand if you really do a deep dive from a lot of times, it comes down to politics and egos, and, and it doesn't work out for us in the long run. So what we're doing here, at least we're keeping the people out of it, but we're spending a lot of money for what gain? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, money is the thing that we actually have, and our advanced arms are the things that we have. And I would trade a multiple launch rocket system for a plane full of U.S. draped casket, flag draped caskets landing at Dover every day. You know, if it, if it means that we are arming the Ukrainians to fight effectively and we're preventing U.S. soldiers from infantry battalions that would be significantly harmed uh, if they went to war, uh, yeah, that's fine. Like, if, if it's just money. Uh, but I, I, I just, yeah, I agree. I don't know where this is going to go. And I also understand that if Ukraine decides to punish Russia, our cost is going to increase. Would you agree? Right. And and I think, you know, right now they have the, let's say they have the moral high ground. And, and yeah. you're right. If they start launching missiles or whatever into uh, Soviet Union or Russia, um, it's going to be bad because then, then it's just going to escalate. Yeah. from that point and i to be honest with you i'm um, i'm surprised they haven't done that yet you know to be you know because the russians have no problems uh striking civilian targets um and you know i don't i hate to say you know give them a little taste of their own uh you know give them a little taste of what they're doing but i you know what it's a it's a, it is a it is a big moral uh problem an ethical problem you know what i'm saying so is yeah. it is it right for the ukraine to strike because the russians are you know literally devastating whole towns um some would say yes i don't think i'm at that point yet because i think it would just get worse yeah you know and then if it gets to the point where uh, they start launching tactical nukes then you know who knows what we're going to do at that point but you agree that there is a moral high ground involved here right absolutely there has to be yeah, it's pretty clear yeah, that yeah. Ukraine was aggressed. Russia came across, tried to take their territory, uh, tried to take over their government to replace their government. And as we both know, I mean, we define a country by it having its own politics, political sovereignty, and it having a, a, a defined border, territorial integrity. 
and that's the one crime that we should we should help other countries defend themselves they can if they're powerful like the united states we can repel an invasion on our country and if they're not powerful then other countries can help it, that you know that's just basically just war and that's where we are today but we're dealing with a re- super powerful country in terms of russia People are mocking the Russians, and people are saying they're not as powerful as they thought they were. I would be really hesitant uh, to count Russia out uh, right now. I, I think that's a big mistake. If we saw anything in the first and second Chechenian wars, the Russians lost the first one, and then they became extremely brutal, and they won the second one. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to say that we're on the trajectory. It's just going to end in a whimper, and Russia's going to go away. I, I don't see that happening. Well, what do you think about, um, you know, like we're in Iraq and Afghanistan, if uh, Russia and China, let's say, openly gave arms to our enemies, I mean, how do you think we would have uh, reacted to that kind of situation? Now, I know they were doing it behind the scenes, but we are doing it openly right. along with sharing intelligence and all God knows what we're doing. We're basically, you know, putting our finger in the chest of Russia, yeah, saying back out of here, back out of here. What if they had done the same thing to us? What do you think we would have been doing? I, well, so I, I just to be clear, if you're saying they're giving it to a non-state actor, um, I don't think they have the same legitimacy as if they were giving it to a legitimate government. And the legitimate well, government, then we have politicians and diplomats and sanctions and. You know, we recognize that government and we try to arbitrate with that government. If they're giving it to uh, foreign terrorist organizations, like that's horrible. Um, I mean, that's reprehensible and it has nothing to do with foreign policy. And so we would, the United States probably wouldn't, um, wouldn't take that very well. We would punish them severely. Yeah, but but what I'm... Yeah, from your, I'm not talking about terrorist organizations. The Iraqis had a government, right? right. We might not have agreed with it. Yeah. Same thing with the Afghanis had the Taliban. So it's like if they had supported those two entities, what would we be doing yeah. as a country? We, yeah. we would be doing everything in our power to fight them or to stop that from happening. Um, and, and so far, I haven't really seen a whole lot from the Russian side to stop what we're doing. But you would, that's good. I mean, I think that's good anticipation of a next step. If, if they start to try to interfere with that, um, that would be, I mean, we would be able to see it and it, it would be the logical next step, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would be. So yeah. it's, it's, and it's coming the longer this drags out. Now I know winter's coming and things should slow down. Should I say should, but who knows? You know, that'll just open up uh, more freedom of movement, I think, for the, uh, you know, the heavy armor and the artillery on the frozen ground to, you know, maybe take back some of these grounds they have lost. So, you know, there's only so many Ukrainian soldiers, right? There's a lot more Russians. Yeah. So that's one thing that they, you know, no matter what weapons you have, it's a numbers game, right? I I agree. Uh, it, it, well, there's a certain amount of numbers to it, and the other part is that um, I don't think Americans, and especially Congress, is uh, as in love with the Ukrainians as perhaps they think we are. And so if tough decisions are made, 
about paying for the Ukraine war or paying for something else. Congress has tough decisions to make, um, and it would not surprise me if in the next year we start seeing Congress uh, people running saying, I'm going to stop payment. I'm, I'm going to stop the United States from sending its money overseas to Ukraine. It isn't. That's not the case right now, but we're very, very early. But I bet you that'll be a platform. And I don't know which side, Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter to me. But Congress, people run for office by arguing about arguing against the status quo. And that's the status quo right now. So American support may start to diminish. And if the president cares deeply about it, he's got to make an argument. He's got to convince Americans that they should do it. Um, and it's too early. Don't you agree? Yeah. Well, so what do, what do you think we lose by letting the Ukrainians come back underneath Russian rule? What do we lose by that? Other yeah. than I know we're talking about morals yeah. and ethics, ethical yeah. arguments, but as an American, what do we lose by, you know, the, the Russians taking over the whole country? Yeah, well, uh, you lose a, I mean, kind of top to bottom, you lose the identity of a country. So they're no longer an independent nation. They no longer vote in the United Nations. They no longer contribute to the fabric of nations at the very highest level. Secondly, you lose something called the world order where we have this agreement about how nations behave with each other. And for many, many years, the United States has been the enforcer of the agreement. We've broken our own rules a number of times, but generally speaking, the United States, when you know Iraq invaded Kuwait, we said, we can't have this. Like We're going to help Kuwait because Iraq can't invade Kuwait. So this order where it's not okay to aggress other countries— um, and setting an example, if if we let Russia do this, or I should say if the world lets Russia do this, then who do they eat next? Who's next? Because, because, they, because they were given, the, uh, the their behavior was approved, so you lose that. And then the final thing is, Russia has now moved within a foot of our NATO allies. And once they have Ukraine... Uh, they can move the same 150 motorized rifle battalions or battle groups or whatever they call them. They can move them a foot from our NATO partners, which causes us to then have to massively escalate, or I should say massively increase the amount of U.S. soldiers living in Poland because we can't defend a NATO ally from the United States without the Ukraine as a buffer. Um, it, we would have to re strategically reposition, and we're talking trillions of dollars there. So, um, it, I, I think it's a bad downside. I think the best thing is what Henry Kissinger alluded to, which is make some concessions, but keep U Ukraine as a country. And I don't know if we'll ever get there, but but I'm watching it, and I hope that um, that somehow when this is all over, Rick, that nations go, you know, we, it wouldn't be worth it to invade this other country, like the United States and all these other countries. It's just going to make it too painful. Like, we ought not to do it. Let's figure out a different way to get what we want. That's, that's what we're hoping. Right. And then, you know, I don't think we have the ability to, to uh, escalate or, or send more troops anywhere, to be honest with you. And that brings us up into the next subject. And Good. that is, uh, you know, our recruit our recruitment rates for the 
our U.S. military, especially the Army, are, are like way, way down. Way, I think way we're down. like 15,000 Army soldiers were down yeah. right now. And um, even uh, as they you know lower the standards um, for, from academic to physical fitness to uh you know you know drug related or crime related uh you know waivers they've lowered all that stuff and we're still fifteen thousand on and i think uh the what i want to talk about is like how do we make the military uh a viable option for a young person today How, how do we do that um how do we convince parents it's a good idea and a good option for their child to join the military. And I think it's it, we got a long road to go to make that viable option again, yeah. um, if it ever really was. and Or we're just getting less people that actually believe that. I, I, I do not know. But there's so many different things going on in this country affecting that. Um, what, do you, what do you think? What would, if you were king for a day, president for a day, what would you change to make that recruitment number come back up to normal? If I were to hand out a three by five card to every American and said, write me five bullets on the military, what do you think about the military life? What do you think they'd write? I think, I don't think it would be good. No, I don't either. And so um, I think the military has, uh, has some big uh, image problems. And I'll just give you a couple kind of interesting observations. The first is that the military relies heavily on kids from military members to enlist. If I showed you the numbers, your jaw would right. drop. No, so I, they, I, I they believe eat you. from their own. Yes. Right? And of course, what does that do in terms of the, co- the, uh, the complexion of the military? It's more and more and more people that are inculcated in a military system. So they recruit from the military. They recruit the kids of military members because they're very cheap to recruit. And they think like the military thinks today. That's the first problem. The second problem is uh, every two weeks, there is something in the news about sexual harassment, rape, murder, suicide, drugs, crime, lying, uh, corrupt officers, they have such a bad rep in terms of, and it, it may be, and you may, your argument may be, Tim, it's a lot worse in the United, uh, you know, in any society at Fort Pierce, there's a lot more bad people in Fort Pierce than there are in a military base. I don't know. But what I would say is nobody has the same expectations of the average citizenry in Fort Pierce as they do of the military. It's supposed to be shiny. Our, our all-volunteer force turns 50 next year. 1973 is when we ended the draft. Yep, yep. And uh, these brilliant generals, Krulak and, and uh, Colin Powell, all of us whom saw really horrible militaries in the 70s, the draft force said, we can't have this. And they tried really hard to build this new image of the military life. So here's the Im- image that I'd like American families to see the Rick Kaiser image, the senior chief, Rick Kaiser. So you get up every day and uh, you love your kids and you take them to school and you go to work and you work really hard, physically demanding, intellectually demanding, 
Um, but you get a good workout in every day. You're with people that you trust and they, they sense of camaraderie. It's fantastic. And you come home and you be with your, you know, your wife and kids and you listen to how they're doing at school and you go through times of really being busy. And then you go through times of not being busy where you're kind of recapitalizing yourself. That is not the image of the military. It isn't a life. It's a, it's a pressure cooker and it's run, run, run and busy, busy, busy and never have enough. And, uh, I passed, I passed out a four wheel drive, uh, the other day with a sign on that says, if, if, uh, if you want to respect the military, earn it or something like that, like be a citizen that's worthy of my serving you. Those things are reprehensible to the average citizen who have to encourage their uh, daughters and sons to consider service in the military. So I think there's pretty significant dysfunction in the military image and the way that the military comports itself among civilians, citizens. And until that gets rectified, Rick, uh, you know, there are a lot of parents who just go, uh, I'll do anything other than uh, recommending my kids to serve in the military. That's a big problem, isn't it? Sure is. I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned it's 50, it's coming up on its 50th uh, anniversary of the volunteer yeah. military. I think, you know, to make that move they did from, uh, you know, con- conscription basically to uh, volunteer, they need to form that same sort of, uh, and I read this in an article um, and I agreed with it, so I'm, I'm kind of... St- plagiarizing here just yeah, sure. to be open that uh they need to f- that form the same sort of committee um you know within the military and our and our civilian leadership to help build back to where you know the military is looked at a viable option and there's many different ways that we can do that from raising the pay to uh you know just you know getting people an idea what life in the military is really like vice you know all the bad things you read on the news yeah um on both sides right because you're like it's always newsworthy if somebody in the military screws up right of course it's a very small percentage yeah but less than one percent less than one percent of the 330 million people are have ever been in the military so it's like of course you know we talk about navy seals so think about that so it's less than one percent of the whole country so navy seals are like 0.0001 percent so it's like when people meet a seal they're like oh my god this is you know the end all be all but it's they're not we're not we're just normal people and i think if people get to experience that you know the more likely be able to support the military and and hopefully the young people um, that want to join the military instead of telling them no, you should go to college. Right. Um, you should do this or do that. Say yeah, it's a viable option, and here's who you should talk to. You know, go talk to Tim Nichols at Duke University. Go talk to Rick Kaiser at the Navy SEAL Museum. These guys can at least give you ex- their experiences and what it's like to be in the military. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I don't know how we're going to fix this problem anytime soon. And I and I wasn't trying to to go to go woke on you there, Tim. But uh, you know we're having a, a big problem within the services of of going woke. I mean, our job is to defend this country, and you know, and we've had this discussion before. It, it's not a social experiment, and I think what's happened is, uh, 
you know, we're trying to be the end all be all for the entire nation. And, and we're losing our focus on doing our primary mission. And that's protecting this country. Could you, um, for the listeners, uh, define your interpretation of going woke? What does that mean? Well, when I th- when when uh, when a s- entire service or services tells their people to add their pronouns to their emails or, or correspondence between other military members, I think that's pretty much woke. Because I you know I don't care what your pronoun is. I care what your your are you a master chief? Are you an admiral? Uh, that's what I care about, and that's what we should focus on. Yeah. Um, and in the Navy, in particular, I think uh, you know what what one of our problems is on on, on ships is that you know we have watches and we have you know the, the particular duties on board a ship that keep that vessel safe. Right. Correct. Yes. And be, because uh, you know of this current leadership or lack of thereof you know they're slacking off on basic skills because they because they're not pleasant nobody likes standing a, a watch and watching you know the aft of a of a destroyer all night long you know but you know so they get kind of get away from that and things happen when that happens so yeah. it's, it's it's a bad news yeah uh, i don't know about the going woke like i don't have a good estimate of this but i would tell you that in after World War II, uh, when uh, black soldiers returned from uh, the war theaters, they were pulled off trucks and lynched, and they had served their country. You know, they were returning to society. And so maybe there's a lot of people in Mississippi and Alabama that said, well, blacks should never serve. And their retribution for, for, take, for uh, having these uh, black Americans who served in combat units in World War II is to lynch them as soon as they returned home. That was an example of the military uh, forcing some tough social issues over time. So I think probably what you mean, Rick, is the military uh, probably can't keep pace with society. There's a lot of uh, woke activity in society, and I think part of it's a broader discussion of who we are as a country, which is fine. We sh- It's fine to have that discussion. That's what that's what living in the land of the free is all about. Uh, but at the same time, part of the unattractiveness of the military may be uh, some of the habits that were established in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that we now call traditions that um, are really unappealing to the very people who you're trying to recruit. So the example I might want to bring up is renaming bases that were named after Confederate generals that were very pro-slavery. It may not be important to Rick Kaiser, but if I'm a, you know, I, if I uh, might play the role of an educated African-American citizen who is uh, thinking about this, I don't necessarily want my son or daughter to be in a military unit that reveres the Confederates more than they do the Union soldiers because the Confederates stood for the institution of slavery. So we just have to, uh, there isn't a right or wrong. There's more of a, like having an honest conversation. I think that your honesty in saying, what are you here for? What are the skills that you need? And will you be treated fairly is the, is the ultimate baseline. It doesn't matter to us about a lot of these personal issues, we want to hold everybody to a high standard, and that means everybody. And at the same time, we want to get everybody a chance to learn and contribute and participate. 
but there's some dysfunction there. Uh, you're talking about small percentages. The number of people, the number of veterans who climbed through the Capitol wall on January 6th um, is disproportionate to the population, right? That's a problem. The trust in the military as an institution is declining. In the last five years, it's declined precipitously. Every July, Gallup releases a poll about trust in the military, and it's on the decline. These are indicators that America is not satisfied with the institution. I don't have the answer, Rick. What I would tell the military to do is, instead of shiny coffee cups and coins and that kind of crap, really think deeply about what it's going to take to to reconnect with Americans. Our bases are closed. Our military is suffering from a profound superiority complex. Anybody that puts on their windshield of their truck, if you want, you know, if you want to respect the military, you must earn my respect as a, you know, be a citizen that's worthy of my respect. They, they're missing it. They're missing the relationship. And so I would just say that, uh, that we've got some work to do in closing the gap between the military and average American citizens who you're right, don't know anything about it other than what they hear third person. Right. So, we talked about it the last episode, and that was, you know, basic core educational values, reading, writing, arithmetic, history, civics. The military needs to have that same focus. It, once, once you, you know, and that's to protect this country, do, you know, that's do right. whatever, you know, and don't worry about the other stuff. And then that that respect that, you know, the, the, the problem we're having with the people not trusting the military will come back to where it should be because they realize these people aren't worried about all the other stuff that they're seeing about in the news and, and the January 6th thing and this and that and the other thing because they're focused on protecting our country, not you know getting involved in politics or uh, any any other you know controversial issues that we're facing today in the country and the military obviously is part of that um and i think that's what our main problem is with the military as far as they're, they're getting off track but Rick, not staying focused i want to push back a little bit i i in an ideal world what you say would be perfect but the military isn't unbiased it isn't. It, and the characteristics of the military uh, very clearly show that it's, uh, it's not, it doesn't reflect the politics of the, of the United States. It doesn't reflect uh, the racial or um, gender, um, what's the right term, acceptance of the rest of the world. And so you're, you're, you're putting the military in an awkward position if you say, keep doing what you're doing, keep doing it the way that we used to do it that was really good and kept America safe, and discount all of these other social agenda items that America as a nation are struggling with. And by the way, go out and get fresh recruits who are part of that conversation. It doesn't work that way. If you want to do, an all, if you want to do a draft, it would totally work right? They'd hate it. And, and people would fight to not come into the military. But if you want an all volunteer force, the force has to be appealing. Okay. If we have a war, then it's amazing how many people just show up and go politics aside, I want to fight and defend my country. But if you have a peacetime military, 
uh, it is the job of our Secretary of Defense and our service chiefs to reconnect the military to America, and it's very disconnected. I mean, the, some of the things that come out of their mouths are reprehensible. Uh, and so parents look at this. High school kids look at this. And the people who end up uh, pursuing the military, and, and regrettably, are people who don't have a lot of other choices, and that's not who the military is trying to, to recruit. So I like your baseline you just have to be good at your job like i like that and if the military were neutral it would work but it's not it's more than that and so um i will give you an example if you were to fly up here and you and i were to drive down to fort bragg and we walk through a bunch of different buildings all over fort bragg what tv station would be exclusively playing uh cnbc (laughs) <laughs> now Anna's question honestly <laughs> do you Fox. I don't have those yeah of course Fox News <laughs> and I don't have a problem with Fox News but but if a thousand TVs on Fort Bragg are all turned to Fox News there will be recruits who show up and go I don't like Fox News my parents don't like Fox News and but yet you're Rick Kaiser saying just play it down the middle there's a little bit of incongruity there, so we have to we have to address that. I think right. the military should be full of people who watch MSNBC and Fox News. They both are good at their jobs. They both can fight. They're both in shape. They both care about their country. But that's not at all what you see when you go on a base. Right, and that's what we have to change. Yes, I agree. And with that. Um, we'll figure that we'll figure that problem out next podcast. Okay, just put it on a uh, marker. So that's a, that's an easy one. So we'll, okay, we'll another get to easy that one, one on the next. Yes. So yeah. having said that, that's that's the end of the uh, Fenway Fire podcast. Uh, thank you, Tim Nichols from North Carolina and Rick Kaiser from the National Navy Seal Museum. Uh, catch us on NavySealMuseum.org or uh, Apple Podcasts. Have a great day. Thank you.